Welcome to episode 17 of the Faith in Real Life podcast, where we show up every Thursday morning to talk about how Sunday's sermon impacted our everyday life. Today we are discussing a loaded question, how can a loving God send people to hell? By the way, I'm one of your hosts, Amy Dalkey, the one who grew up Baptist and was convinced that you'd experience the fire of hell if you drank beer or said cuss words. And uh, I'm the other host, James Thompson, and I agree with Amy. Wow, you do? <laughs> or I could say, uh, I grew up cussing, and no, I didn't. All right. Since you are the attorney in this situation, why don't you start out with like your opening statement? Well, I'll just summarize what, what the sermon was about on, on Sunday. So the question was, as Amy said, uh, how can a loving God send people to hell? And the short answer at the end, he doesn't. Uh, we choose to go there. And I, I did learn a lot from the sermon uh, based on the references to the Book of Discipline um, and, of course, some of the other statements and why I disagree with Rob Bell, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But what, what John did was he, he started off with what do we believe um, as Methodists, which I thought was a good place to start. Right. And I'm sure n hardly anyone listening has ever opened a, a Book of Discipline. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've opened one. But then I closed it right away. I, I'd never really looked inside. So it actually gave me an opportunity to take it out and look at it. Have you ever read it? No, I haven't. Uh, I was intrigued. So I started Googling it and wanted to find out exactly what, uh, what was in there. So John started off with the Book of Discipline, and, and then he went into the Bible, what the Bible says about hell, and, and gave some descriptions about that. But I wanted to know what the Book of Discipline said about the Bible. And so... What the Book of Discipline says, the Methodists believe, is that it's God's Word. And the Methodists believe that God speaks to us through the Bible, that it's God's Word. The authority derives from three sources. We hold that the writers of the Bible were inspired, that they were filled with God's Spirit as they wrote the truth to the best of their knowledge. We hold that God ha was at work in the process of canonization, during which only the most faithful and useful books were adopted to Scripture. And we hold that the Holy Spirit works today in our thoughtful study of the Scriptures, especially as we study them together, seeking to relate the old words to life's present realities. Now, hearing that definition, Amy, does that, how does that jive with what you believe about the scriptures? I think that, yes, man did pin the words, but God just used man as a tool to get his point across, you know, to express his word. And I think that's, that's the way I was raised as well. That that's, right. Although it was written by humans, mm -hmm. it doesn't have the imperfections and the fallibility right. that, yes. that humans would have imparted if they did it themselves. Right. That, for me, was pretty helpful. And then in the sermon, John went through the different ways that hell is used in the Bible mm -hmm. and then the roots of those. And I think he came up with four. Shale, mm -hmm. which is Parker's favorite song. I love that song. That's my favorite. <laughs> uh, Hades. Gehenna. Gehenna. I actually wrote the phonetic, that one, that okay. one got. And then um, Tartaru. Tartaru, which sounds like tartar sauce. It does. That's exactly what I thought of uh, when, he was, when he mentioned it in the, in the sermon. Um, and just to give a brief summary of those four different definitions, Sheol is used mostly in the Old Testament, used about mm -hmm. 66 times, and it's a place where the dead live. And I think John described it as a place where they no longer praise God. Hmm. Hades was used as the unseen place where the dead reside. It's used about 10 times. Um, and sort of references like the gates of Hades and descend to Hades. It's the one that's used in all of the Revel Revelation references. 
And then uh, the one used, the, the specific one that John talked about was Luke 16, 23, 24, and that's Lazarus and the rich man. And that story mm-hmm. is the rich man is in, in hell, and he's looking over, and he sees Abraham and Lazarus, which was the poor man that he had treated badly. And you said that was Hades? And that was Hades. Okay. And then Gehenna is the one that, that John spent some time describing as, and this is, I love this kind of information, that Valley of Hin, Hinnom, mm-hmm. and it's a, a deep valley right outside of Jerusalem where... What I looked up said that they used to do in Old Testament times, late Old Testament, early Old Testament times, they would sacrifice children mm-hmm. and, and just horrible things um, in addition to the trash. And right. so that became became a hated place. And so that's where they threw their refuse. And then um, it was always continuously on fire. And I actually read something that they would actually throw uh, unburied criminals down there. Um, just, yeah, so just horrible, horrible place. And that's sort of the illusion that is used... Um, I think John said the most often in the Bible. And then and then the last one was Tartaru. It's only used one time, and it's the lowest place of the underworld, and it's used one time, and that's in Second Peter. Talk about a little bit more about right. that later. And so all of these descriptions that we have grown up learning about, pitchfork, horns, a place where people are tortured and all of that stuff is just not biblical. It's not biblical. Speaking of, I want to tell you where... I got my childhood image of hell. It was on a trip with my mom to Fred's dollar store when I was four or five. And this is legit. I'm not making this up. Shopping was certainly not hell for me. That's not where I'm going here. That's what I was, I was thinking. No, that, that, not at that all. That sounds like it for me. <laughs> not at all. So do you remember those those Viewmaster, those red Viewmaster cameras? Yes. That we had? Okay. So where you had the little reels and then you had to pull the lever down and it would circle around the, and show each picture. So I was on the toy aisle. And I had one of those cameras. So I was looking at the, like, the packages of the various reels. And, you know, they, most of them were, like, very lighthearted, like Mickey and Minnie Mouse or whatever. But there was this one that had these crazy, scary people on the cover. Like, they had black masks and white stripes on their faces and wild hair. And in particular, one, like, the front man was just terrifying. And my mom grabbed this out of my hand. I guess I picked it up to look at it and she grabbed it out of my hand and she goes, that is Satan. And so from then on, that is the picture that I had in my head every time hell or Satan, the devil, whatever was referenced. And then when I was in high school, a kid came to class wearing a Kiss concert (laughs) t-shirt and I thought he had Satan on his shirt, but it was Gene Simmons. Was that, was in the, was that in the Viewmaster? Yeah, that was like they had the a little. I guess I guess Kiss was really pop. I don't know. I'm not a rock pers- music person, so clearly I don't I'm not educated on this. But I that was this was in the early '80s, so yeah, that was. And I have, I mean, forever. Still, if I think of Satan, that's kind of the first picture that comes up in my head. So it wasn't really Dante's fault. It was my mom's. Yeah. Wow. Uh, face paint. That'll do it. Well, I you know I grew up. Both of us pastors, uh-huh. uh, children. Um, and I can't tell you that I ever really gave it much thought. And so I think it's one of those things where there's a void. It'll get filled by. Right. Right. The world will fill it in. Right. Uh-huh. So um, you have all of these images from TV. You know, as, as John said, you know, these medieval sort of imagery mm-hmm. that was very mm-hmm. popular at the time. And that sort of stuck stuck with us, these, yeah. these paintings and stuff. I never thought of it as sulfuric. I mean, you know, that you're sitting mm-hmm. in a, in like a, a fire. Pit, yeah. But fire. Yeah. I... I, I I acknowledge that I know those references, but I, I don't think I ever thought about it. 
I mean, it wasn't until I read uh, Randy Alcorn's book that I gave mm-hmm. a whole lot of thought about heaven and started looking up the passages and yeah. what they say. But it's the same thing with hell. Like until John mentioned it during the sermon, I'm thinking, you know, I've never really done a global Bible search on on you know Bible Hub or Bible right. Gateway hell and see right. what it says and look up all the different references. I mean, when I was kind of thinking about all of this, it made me realize. Well, not only is this like the classic example of a child growing up in an evangelical family in the early 80s, but it just demonstrates how important it is that we know where we know where our beliefs come from. If we're just assuming that something is the way we think it is because that's how we grew up believing it was, then we could be really way off course. I think it comes back to just not knowing what the Bible says. Right, exactly. And I think that's where sort of, that's why I like the fact, one, we kind of start with what the United Methodists believe. Mm-hmm. Then what, let's look at what the Bible actually says. And then you go forward from there as to what what does it mean? What does it mean? What is it, how is it used? How is it described in the Bible um, with regard to hell? I've heard hell described by some pastors as just the absence of God. You know, and and that in and of itself sort of matches um, these definitions that right. we've that we've gotten. That so John references Rob Bell in his sermon uh, "Love Wins," and so I got to tell you that immediately got my attention because I do not like Rob Bell. Like there were there's. <laughs> Can I tell you that when it first came out of John's mouth, I was I started to get nervous. Like in my seat, I started to get a little bit nervous because I I have the same thoughts about Rob Bell that you do and I was sitting here thinking is he is he going to affirm what yeah. Rob Bell is saying and anyway thankfully oh, so, so I'm, saying, I'm, I'm listening to the sermon of course I, I you know I was in training on on, uh, on Sunday so I wasn't actually there and so John had sort of prefaced and, and told me gave me a heads up last week uh, after we recorded the podcast that he you know he was reading a Rob Bell book to to talk about uh, mm-hmm. for this week's sermon and early on, Rob Bell, you know, had this mega church, mm-hmm. and then he wrote this book. And so I looked up, I looked up his history and, and that sort of stuff, just to sort of affirm and get more information. So he wrote this book, and they ended up kicking him out as the own, his, the right. church that he created. Uh, you know, sort of because he believed that there was no. Probably hard to do, right? <laughs> you would imagine, you know, yeah. that the cult of personality that that church is uh-huh. him, but they kicked him out. Just to give you an idea, or those listening. We started with our fundamental premise of what the Bible is, mm-hmm. and this is what Rob Bell thinks the Bible is. First of all, he, after he left the megachurch, or after they parted ways, he wanted to invite Christians to seek a different kind of church, one that keeps pace with the waterline of culture. So already there, he's sort of more interested in worldview as opposed to the Christian view or the mm-hmm. biblical view. And so in order to, and you see this with, there's a couple of other guys that I, I, they just rubbed me the wrong way. In order to sort of reconcile the world and biblical view, you have to sort of attack the underlying, the foundation, which is the Bible. Right. And so this is, this is how Rob Bell does it. I was telling Missy, I'm like, well, first you got to, you got to write your own Bible. Tell me, tell me what the important exactly. parts are, Rob. You know, what, what am I reading wrong? What parts need to be gone? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course he wrote a book called what's in the Bible or what is the Bible and where he sort of starts to divorce and attack these very tenets that the Methodists at least hold dear by saying stuff like this. The Bible is a library of books reflecting how human beings have understood the divine. People at that time believed that gods were with them when they went to war and killed everyone in the village. 
What you're reading is someone's perspective that reflects the time and the place they lived in. It's not God's perspective, it's theirs. And when they say it's God's perspective, what they're telling you is their perspective on God's perspective. Don't confuse the two. He's attacking the very fundamental authority of the Bible right. by saying, oh no, it's fallible. And that's really the, the Genesis, I mean, not the Genesis, but this is really the, the underlying message that he's giving is that... Then tell me, what is it? Where, where is he getting God's perspective? It, is he God? Because that's what he's just made himself to be. Uh, this is the, yeah, Sorry, so, this is not an attack Rob Bell episode. Sorry, I just got really, really. Well, this, yeah, this, this, okay, and so yeah, Rob Bell is one of these um, right. pastors that, that, and he's not the, he's not alone. There's other ones that I would put in the same sort of category, but I think this, and I'm speaking generally, this sort of attack mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the Bible is very common. Yeah. Um, let's let's take a step back and say, oh, it's just a collection of stories. It's just good moral uh, instruction. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. kind of belief is not uncommon. It's once you start chipping away at the authority that then all these other sort of um, beliefs that you can sort of seep in. Not to focus on Rob Bell, but once you start to question whether or not the Bible is true, I think is, is the beginning of relativism. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's what, I, you know, love wins. Why did he choose that, that portion? So the Bible says that God is just, righteous, holy. Mm-hmm. And loves. So why did he only choose loves? I mean, if he's, he's still holy, so he can't deal with sin. Um, he's still righteous. Um, and, and he's still just. So, but he focuses only on the love and just says, well, if God loves us, then he wouldn't let us go to hell. Right. And so then there is no hell. Or we always have the ability to, cho- to choose him later. And so that's where I think that he, that's probably what the sticky point mm-hmm. was, sticking point was with, it, that, that, with his departure from the church that he, that he started. Right. Um, but that's, that's one of the things I was thinking about is, and that, I think that's where John went with this, is mm-hmm. God is just. Just as much as he loves, he's also just. And so, and then I thought immediately back to, if he's holy, he can't be in the, he can't be with sin. Right. Which is the whole redemptive story mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. Jesus. John talked about that. It's a salvation story. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mean to go off on that. No, but, it makes, it totally makes sense. And So I'm glad that. that I'm glad that John sort of brought it up just to say this is not, you know, what we believe and this is not really sort of how we should look mm-hmm. at this. And mm-hmm. that was sort of, and he called that, for those that that uh, listen to the sermon, that the universalist view and it champions the idea that God brings everyone home at the end um, and that God wouldn't let people go to hell. And right. so, because while it affirms God's goodness, mm-hmm. which is great and that God loves, it sort of downplays God is also just, yeah. which is what we just talked about. And then... Um, it violates the concept of free will, which I think, you know, a lot of these podcasts, we always go back to the garden. I was just about to go back to the garden, <laughs> as a matter of fact, because what stuck out in my mind during the sermon, it was ironically had, it wasn't about the question of does a loving God, you know, send people to hell. It was when John talked about the kingdom of God. And particularly he said that Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God than anything else. And that stuck out to me because in seminary, it was, it was drilled into me that you pay attention to repetition. And so if this is a subject that Jesus spent a lot of time talking about, then I think it is wise for us to kind of understand what that means. And so what I did is it immediately took me back, the, the whole kingdom of God concept took me back to the beginning where as image bearers, Adam and Eve were made to rule like they were made to rule on God's behalf 
over all of the earth. Until they basically thought that Satan knew more what he was talking about than, than God did, right? They listened to Satan's word, and in doing so, they were now ruled by Satan. So it's kind of like Tony Evans puts it, how, you know, Adam and Eve had control of the ball, and then they fumbled, Satan recovered it, and took it all the way down to Adam and Eve's 10-yard line. And now, like, there's an authority problem on earth because man has given his away. And so, essentially, God has a way to restore that. Know the story. Jesus comes, and in doing so through the cross and the resurrection, as believers, we are back in that position of rule. Satan doesn't have, like, control or claim over us anymore, right? So, essentially, as a whole, and I've got a point here, Kingdom of God stuff, we have a choice of which, like, which team we're going to play on. Like, we can come under to the authority of Jesus, or we can serve the kingdom of darkness. It's our problem all the way through, right? Like, it's our choice. It's our problem. God has already given us a way to fix that and not go to hell. Why did why put the tree in the garden in the first place? I mean, why give the option? Right. Why give the choice? That would be a tough question. Because he wanted us to choose. When I'm looking at when I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at different people that have talked about this issue, they sort of say we are made in God's image and and maybe that's why one of the reasons why that choice and that ability to make decisions is given to us right. because in some way exactly. God has that. Some people tend to think, well, there's just no way of knowing why God put the tree in the garden because mm-hmm. his ways are above our ways. They go to Isaiah and say, you know, we can't even fathom or why he did that. Right. But then the one that really resonated with me was if you don't have the choice, it's not truly love. If you're forced to love someone, it's not truly love. And so, you know, if you want love to win, Rabel, uh, <laughs> then then you have to have the choice. And it reminded me of, I always tell this story and I'm sure my kids hate it, but they say that when you, your kid's born, you have this aha moment. Mm-hmm. Here's this perfect creature, and and that you immediately fall in love with them, and ah, you know all that stuff. Hallmark moment. And I guess I had that to some extent. Uh, you know, when when Zoe was born, this is our our oldest, mm-hmm. and um, but like you know she, she's kind of goofy looking, kind of a pointed head, you know, and that connection really for me wasn't made until you know she can pick you up out of the lineup, right? You know, right. She can come to you because you're the tallest guy in the room. That's fine. But when she can actually make that connection and pick you out of the four other guys in the room, mm-hmm. it's that's when I think the connection was made. And that's that's sort of what, what I always think about when we have free will is that, you know, that's where the love is. Mm-hmm. It's you can't force them. And it's when you have that connection. And so that's I'm sure Zoe hates that. But that's that's <laughs> that's. That, that's what I always think about in these situations where it is free will. It is. So I, t- I took the concept of choice. And so then I started doing searches in the Bible for choice and choose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's pretty clear. Like, like Proverbs says, uh, 128, Then they will call me, they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. So God has given us an option. And it's whether you choose, you choose whether to, to be saved or not. This, this concept of choice is, as you said, many places right. in the Bible. And so it's obviously important. So, yeah, when, when, the, when the question was posed at the very beginning of the sermon, I'm thinking, ah, I don't think he does. I think it's our decision. And, right. of course, that's what it, you know, John came back around to that at yeah. the very end. Short answer, he doesn't. 
Okay, so you know how I brought up, I mentioned John saying that that hell is the perpetual disintegration of the soul? Mm-hmm. Did I already say that? Yeah. Okay, I thought I did. Man, sometimes I think I'm going crazy. This isn't about what's going to happen to us when we die. Like, I think a lot of times when we talk about hell, heaven and hell, we think about the where we're going to end up when we die, right? But it, both of them begin now. Jesus referred to the kingdom of heaven. Yes, it's it's something that is coming because it, it's not here in its fullest, right? But it's already begun. And the same with, you know, the kingdom of, of hell or Satan's dominion. That's evidenced in the fact that when we aren't living under God's rule, we our lives manifest malice and anger and bitterness and, you know, all the yucky things. Well, okay, so going here... John's definition, well, I don't know where he got it, but he said that hell is the perpetual disintegration of the soul. And when he said that, I immediately thought of Ephesians 4. Okay, so I'm going to read just this brief part of it. So Paul's writing to believers in Ephesus, and he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, the word corruption in the Greek implies a progressive downward spiral. So it's basically, according to the Vines Expository Dictionary, it's moral decay that is on its way to a a final ruin. That old self is the self that's under the rule of the enemy, not under the rule of God. But the very next like line, Paul says, instead be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness, which again goes all the way back to the garden because we are restored. So we've been on this path. Everybody sets out when they're born on a path, like a highway to hell, basically. Unless, you know, who would have thought? Like, I don't know rock things, but I just referenced another one. Kiss and highway to hell. There you go. So, no, but we're all on this path to destruction. God has a plan for our restoration. We have to choose it. I just thought that was so fascinating because we really are in a state of perpetual decay if we're not intentionally choosing to live. You know, and that's, I hate to go back to Rob Bell, but part of, of what was appealing to a lot of people in his book is sort of don't wait for the afterlife kind of deal. Like uh-huh, sort of uh-huh. live now in a mm-hmm. way that you should. That part, I get. That's great. That's inspiring, right? That, that yeah. part is, is, is what is, I think, part of the truth that he's saying. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he's telling half of it. And I think, but that's... I need to do more reading. I need to do more study. And I think that's what else, we, we say this a, a lot. I mean, it tends to be a mantra is that we're just not familiar with a lot of what it is that we say that we believe right, exactly. and the basis for it. And yes. so that's why it's really easy for some people to, to, to tweak it just a little bit, the truth. And it mm-hmm. sounds like the truth, but it may not be. But I encourage everyone, if you have any sort of doubt, don't take what other people, you know, these commentators mm-hmm. say for, for truth. Go right. look. See if what you think, what you what you research, what you find out bears witness that that is the truth, because mm-hmm. it may not be. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different pastors that have a lot of different views, and right. some of them have agendas. But do the homework, read the scriptures, and I think that right. you'll be in a better place. Um, and in fact, when John was talking about Tartaru, which yeah, that funny name that you like, oh, yeah, um, sauce. Uh, it was talking about Second Peter two one through three. Right before the verses that, that he was talking about, um, but be aware of false prophets among the people, just as, uh, but there will, there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, 
bringing swift destructions on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and the destruction um, has not been sleeping. And then you know, there's another verse in Second Timothy that also sort of gives warning to, to everyone. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Um, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I, I think we have a duty to test whatever we hear. And that's why, that's why I like that John started, started the whole sermon. Right. Like He got up there and said, hey, you may disagree with what I say. You may disagree with the conclusions I come to. And that challenge is for everyone. I, I remember uh, Sunday afternoons after, after church, we would sit around the, the kitchen table and have lunch. And I would be like, I don't know if I, I, I buy that, Dad. And we would have a conversation. Right. And he would tell me the basis for what he said. And if I had some other sort of basis for why I thought maybe that wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. um, as clear as it could have been or whatever. Um, and I think that that sort of invitation is necessary in any sort of healthy church. I think right. what that ultimately does is get everyone back to the basics, which is where do you get that? Yeah, right. This is the coolest thing. All right, so from we're talking about the kingdom of God. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, I never really defined it, but it's the it's like the comprehensive rule of God. It's his lordship, his authority. Okay, so yeah, Revelations 22 Revelations, Revelation 22:5 in the middle of garden talk. So we've got garden talk in God garden in Genesis and now here we've got a new garden in Revelation. And verse 5 of chapter 22 says, "And there shall be no longer any night and they shall have no need of a lamp for, nor will they need the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine upon them and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, what's the cool part of that verse? They shall reign forever and ever. Like, who is they? We are the Lord Jesus Christ and his servants. We will rule with him as God originally intended man to rule in the beginning. Is that not so awesome? Yeah, I mean, it comes right back. Totally. And it's like, that rule starts now. Like, we, we choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to fall under the lordship of Jesus, or are we going to fall under the lordship of the enemy? Bottom line, does a loving God send people to hell? No. The only ones that go to hell are the ones that don't choose God's path of redemption. So everyone listening, the choice is yours. Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell.